0: over to me two or three times on the piano she then asked me what it's what it said and i immediately replied blessed assurance jesus is mine oh what a foretaste of glory divine within just a few minutes fanny crosby had written three verses and a chorus for mrs knapp's new melody their joint effort blessed assurance was first published in 1873 the music and verses we sing today remain the same as the day they were created in fanny crosby's living room that afternoon blessed assurance jesus is mine oh what a foretaste of glory divine air of salvation purchase of god born of his spirit washed in his blood perfect submission perfect delight visions of rapture now burst on my sight angels descending bring from above echoes of mercy whispers of love perfect submission all is at rest I, and my Savior, am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with his goodness, lost in his love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Mrs. Knapp published more than 500 hymns during her lifetime, but of her many hymns, only Blessed Assurance and Open the Gates of the Temple are commonly sung today. Both compositions are set to texts that Fanny Crosby wrote of the nearly 9,000 hymns Fanny Crosby wrote in her lifetime, Blessed Assurance is one of her most beloved as well. The first verse of the hymn was chosen for the inscription on her headstone at her death in 1915. Reflection, Phoebe Knapp and Fanny Crosby left a glorious legacy in the hymn, Blessed Assurance. Countless people across the world have been blessed and comforted by the inspiring words and beautiful melody combined that day by the two friends. Do you have the blessed assurance that Jesus is yours if you do praise your Savior all the day long if you don't trust him today as your Savior and you will be born of his spirit washed in his blood and from Isaiah 26 19 we have this assurance those who belong to God will live their bodies will rise again those who sleep in the earth will rise up and sing for joy oh. uh, where was that? Hang on a second. She went over to Brooklyn to see Fanny. Could have been. Had to be near. Yeah, New York City. She was born. Yep, New York City. So yeah, right there. Uh, we got a couple announcements. First is on Saturday night at two o'clock. You have to wake up and change your clocks forward, unless you're like me and you do it before you go to bed. And um, uh, so anyway, that's uh, Saturday, and uh, don't forget that uh, let's see here. And I have, uh, my friend, Mark sent me, I, somebody I've been praying for. He said, uh, Geneva M Emler, her last name is Emler has stage four cancer all over her body. She's ready to go home. So he asked for prayers for her in that capacity. And, uh, let's see here. Um, I'll announce this just in case anybody's interested, Ron Elkin, an evangelist outreach, um, uh, will be here in Sarasota from, uh, the 8th which is today through the 18th and uh he's going to be at the Jewish Film Festival tonight he's over at the um, Sarasota Auditorium and uh, he's a messianic Jew and uh, he's got a ministry to the Jewish people and his theme down here in Sarasota is Isaiah 53 so if uh, anybody wants the information on his website and how to get a hold of him and all that I'll send that to you let me know and um, and he'll be here like I say until the 18th and I've emailed him and uh so we'll see if we can meet him maybe, I don't know, Saturday or something. And um, I've got other prayer requests, which apparently I didn't write down. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer and we'll get, that, uh, get things started. Heavenly Father, we're thankful to, that we're able to come to you in prayer. And uh, we thank you for the prayers that you have heard. And we ask that you hear our other prayers for those that are struggling. And we certainly pray for the lady who is now in stage four cancer and uh, She's ready to go home, and I'd like to pray for a friend in Texas who lost his father today. You know who he is, Lord, and uh, how close he was to his father. I would pray that you would be with him and comfort his heart in his time of sadness and grief. And, uh, Lord, we ask that you just safely uh, tend to him during his time of mourning and all the other people that are facing their own trials, Lord, we lift them up to you, and we ask that you search them out and meet their needs. We have um, our brother uh, Nick out in California who is going through uh, fasting before a medical operation or a medical procedure. We pray for him, and we pray for all the others that uh, have gone left unnamed today, and uh, we just thank you that we can come to you and ask these things, and we also ask that you bless this time here in the Book of Romans, and we thank you that we can study this Word and join together in it and, and search it out, and we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. And I we prayed for a little child in uh, Nicaragua. I think no, no, no. Where was she? Guatemala last week. And I got a picture of him today. Maybe it was in church. We prayed for him. Anyway, I got a picture of him today, and he's doing better. They've given him some food, and they're hoping that that'll go through him okay. And uh, so just uh, I think his name was Carlito. Last week we prayed. It was either Sunday or Thursday, and. So, continue to pray for the little boy because uh, he's he's still in the hospital and and uh, struggling with that. And then um, I have, uh, as I do each week, I've got um, uh, Table Talk, which I read, and I got a few uh, uh, things from Table Talk that, you know a highlight for you. A couple pages. I got one really great thing on church matters, and I don't think we're going to have time to read it today, but it's why you should be attending a church, and uh, you know it, nobody is alone in their doctrine nobody can not be a part of a church and be a sound Christian and I'm not saying that you can't do it but it's just you need people to stabilize you and you need the fellowship and uh, he made a point everybody should go to a local church well we've got people that attend this church online that do not have a local church at all and then other people that attend that have lots of local churches that are no good and so they use the superior word and that's why when we take the communion every Sunday the first thing I do is hold it up to them because I want them to know that they are part of this congregation and they can email anytime with questions and with, uh, uh, you know, prayer requests and, you know, we try to make it into a community because they just don't have anywhere that is Good for them. But real quickly, we'll go through a couple points on. uh borrow uh, Joel's jet plane and go see these. Yes, that would be good if I could borrow, uh, what's his name, Hagen, or uh, what's his name, no, not Hagen, Copeland, Kenneth Copeland. I could borrow his jet, that's right. And there's uh, Benny Hinn has a jet, we could use theirs, and I'm sure they'd let us do that. So um, let's see here from, uh, uh, this was the 7th of uh, last month, according to Isaiah 52 1 through 12. Uh, the ancient Israelites could look forward to the day when they would be rescued from their exile in a foreign nation at that point the people would be cleansed of sin and renewed Israel would take a rightful place at the head of the nations okay Uh, and then um, this regenerate I don't know why I underline oh I know why is because um, uh, this is reformed theology they believe that they have replaced the church and so why would they even put that in their daily devotional when obviously that did not happen at any point in history so it must be something future and yet they deny that it is so kind of crazy there um, and then uh, here's another one I underline this it says um, if we uh, were to ask most evangelicals how and when they are born again they would likely tell us that they are born again by believing in Christ does anybody here have a problem with that you're born again when you believe in, that's what it says you believe, you receive the Holy Spirit, okay? When we read Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus, it becomes clear that D- Jesus teaches the opposite. Is that right of those ideas? First, our being born again must come before we believe. Did you know that you're, you're born again before you believe? Yeah, this is what they teach. We cannot see or enter the kingdom of God before our hearts are changed. And since we are saved by faith alone, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, the re- that regeneration precedes faith the faith by which we enter the kingdom of heaven follows our being born again okay and then he goes down here and he says are oh, controlled by sin have our hearts set on things of this world cannot please God well you got to take those words of Paul in context right what does it say and uh, we've already gone through it in Romans but um, he says all um, uh, the fool says in his heart and let me read it to you and then it it yeah the fool says in his no heart God. there is no God but that's that's after we got to go to psalm 14 let me read it and they always cite this verse they always cite this verse and this is what he's talking about here from you know and paul quotes it in romans it says um uh there's none who does good right mm-hmm. there's none who does good and they they say that applies nobody can do good nobody can seek after god no one seeks after god etc cetera, etc cetera. what is it speaking of the fool says in his heart there is no god it's speaking of an atheist david couldn't write those words if he was included in them. You see what I'm saying? Anybody that, uh, if people seek God all the time, they just do it wrong usually, but people seek God, you know, in Islam, they seek God in Buddhism, they're seeking God, they're just doing it wrong. They don't have the special revelation which is necessary for us to obtain faith. So to say that nobody seeks God is not correct. He's specifically speaking in Psalm 14:1, 1 in Psalm 53 1 of the atheist the fool says in his heart there's no God so that's not the context of what he's saying there and then I underlined something else um, second the grace of regeneration is irresistible Jesus likens uh, the spirits work in regeneration to the blowing of the wind okay Jesus words speak of the effect not the cause and that's his category mistake let me read it again what he says the grace of regeneration is irresistible first it never uses the term grace of regeneration in the Bible that has to be read into it that they say you were regenerated in order to believe in reform theology and you're actually born again before you believe that's absolutely crazy so as I said when you read Jesus words in John chapter 3 Jesus words speak of the effect not the cause. I read this every morning, and it took me about one second to figure out where the category mistake was. He is speaking of the effect. The wind blows where it wants. It's not speaking of the cause. It is not the cause of your belief. It's the result of it. So that's another problem with uh, Reformed theology. Next one. Uh, This is absolutely crazy. Now, these are people that just said, and that that, back here on whatever, 8 March, or 8 February, they said that you were regenerated in order to believe. But here's what they say here. I'm not reading the whole thing, I'm just reading parts of that. When the Son is revealed and sinners refuse Him, what is refusing? That is? Free will. Free will, thank you. So He's speaking free will here, but He's gonna deny it in just a couple sentences. Mm-hmm. When the Son is revealed and sinners refuse Him, so you have free will to refuse Him, apparently, their condemnation increases they add to their already extensive record of sin of the grievous sin of rejecting the one way of salvation so they've rejected the one way of salvation and they um, uh, refuse him as well so they're saying that that's a matter of free will that, that you can come to no other conclusion from his words then going down he says um, where we see let me get start at the beginning of the sentence that has already been presented in verses 1 through 15 where we see the only way we can come into the kingdom is to be reborn spiritually from above through god's sovereign work of regeneration they keep repeating this they keep repeating it upon regeneration we believe and we are saved so at least he's being consistent that you're born again before you believe but that's incorrect two sentences down he says the following john 3:21 simply presents a contrast With the wicked person of verse 20 in order to arouse the people from their complacency and encourage them to come to Christ for salvation what does that sound like to you sounds like free will so he says free will here he says free will here and then he says we do not have free will so there is always a problem with this reformed theology always they cannot deny that free will exists in man except The fact that they have said that man cannot choose God based on a misunderstanding and a misrepresentation of Romans. I think it's chapter eight where he goes, "There is none who does good and none seeks after righteousness." Okay, so we've already gone through those verses. But every month I read this, and at the end of the month I do this. I read you what they've had to say, and it's literally crazy. Don't get duped into things like that. Where because the problem with that type of theology, and we went through it in the uh, duck example is that you were pre-selected by god god either passes over those he doesn't want to save or he purposefully sends them to hell he created them for hell or he simply passes them over and that means that the elect only are saved and god chose them before he created anything that leads one to smugness and two it leads to a complete uh lack of wanting to evangelize anybody there's no point in evangelizing because as they say god's will cannot be thwarted which you can't but his will is that all come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and a repentance yes. and a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ Peter would not have written those words if there was not something involved in the process meaning us getting out there handing out tracts or oh by the way just so everybody knows we got in a whole new batch of um, uh, bookmarks okay the the evangel- uh, evangelistic bookmarks and the little pass out things and they're from the lady in England. Everybody likes them. If you go to a restaurant, hand them out. Whatever. There's a whole bunch of them on the table. Please take all you want. And um, that's Louis, uh, Louise over in uh, England. They came today. And um, actually, they came yesterday and opened today. But uh, that's why we do these things. Is because it is our job to go out and evangelize people. It is our job to tell them that you must receive Jesus Christ. If you tell somebody, oh, you don't need to receive Jesus Christ because you are born again what was the order he said oh yeah you're born again and then you believe why would you tell anybody about jesus why would you even bother so let's get into romans we're in uh uh romans 10 verse 3 i believe so hang on a second here yes romans 10 verse 3 and uh heck here we're at uh romans 10 verse 3 sorry i didn't have the page marked so it's going to take me a second to find it romans comes before acts is that right Romans oh it's after acts thank you I'm glad somebody got that just, I was just checking to see if you're all awake um, okay and we had one person that was definitely awake okay Romans 10 verse 3 I'm gonna start at 10 verse 1 just so we know what's going on brethren my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved or I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God what does that verse before I even go on what does that first sound like to you something we were just talking about let me read it again for they speaking of the Jews being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God works works yes but they've rejected something else in in the process of rejecting they have exercised free will yes thank you they've exercised free will they've said we're not going the Jesus route we're going to work our way to heaven so even there it's an implicit reference to free will okay 10-3 here are my comments um, Four, for they being ignorant for is used again to continue the ongoing chain of thought if you as i've said and some of you probably have not heard me say this if you go through the bible while you're reading it works much better in the greek because sometimes the order is out uh in the english translation it may say um uh, you therefore instead of therefore you Mm -hmm. and so it sometimes or it could even be down quite a bit you know in other words when they make an emphasis the structure of the sentence changes in the greek but you will usually get the general sense from a good translation. What you do is go through there and circle your prepositions for and but and and therefore. And as you're doing that, especially if you're going to prepare something to present to somebody, like in a sermon or something, if you do that, it will really show you structure. That you're you're just, you read and you're not aware of it because it's natural for you to just read or for us to just speak. But if you think about those prepositions as you're reading, it is a big help. Circle them or make a different colored mark on them you'll find out that it will help you unpackage the Bible in a really way new way to yourself so just a little recommendation but four is used again to continue the ongoing chain of thought this time it is directly related to Paul's previous words speaking of the Jewish people who held to the law as a means to to an end as he says they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge because of this zeal which lacks knowledge, they were ignorant of God's righteousness. There are a few thoughts on this, okay? One, this is speaking of God's means of bestowing righteousness, not God's inherent righteousness, okay? Everybody understand that? We're speaking about Jesus Christ as God's means of bestowing righteousness. His works is imputed to us. So it's not speaking about God's inherent righteousness. The Jews are pursuing God's inherent righteousness. They're looking, I'm talking about the ones that are pursuing God, they're looking to please him. Okay, they've rejected Jesus, and they think that they are pursuing God's righteousness in this way. Okay, so it's not speaking of; uh, it is speaking of the means of bestowing righteousness, not God's inherent righteousness. Two, Paul is not attempting to excuse the Jewish people for their ignorance. He is stating it as a fact, and then explaining the results of it. Okay? He's not making an apology and saying, this is why they've done it, and I'm excusing their actions. He's not doing that in any way, shape, or form, and we've seen that already in Romans 2 and 7 and some other places. I believe Romans 2. Anyway, he's stating it as a fact, and this goes directly to the thought that uh, misdirected faith is wasted faith. Anytime that somebody misdirects their faith, they've wasted it. If somebody goes in, and I use this example week after week, and so far the uh, video hasn't been taken down, but eventually somebody's going to say, he can't say that, is a Muslim will go into a shopping mall and they will pull a string and they'll blow up themselves and 50 other people up. That was a demonstration of faith. I hate to tell you that. It was a demonstration of real faith. It takes faith to say, I'm going to do this. Just like it takes faith to sit down in a chair, knowing that it's not going to buckle under you it is misdirected faith. It's not faith in the true God. It's not faith in his plan of salvation, which is what Paul is speaking about with the Jews as well. They have real faith. It is just misdirected faith, okay? And misdirected faith is wasted faith. It doesn't matter how much faith you exercise in what you believe in. If it is not correct, it is wasted. I'm going to walk up onto the podium because I know that it's going to hold me, I walk up there with 50 other people. We start singing the song. You've all seen dozen YouTube videos where the entire thing collapses. They had faith in something that was unsound. Okay? That is exactly what happens with religion when you get into Mormonism. You are misdirecting your faith in Jesus Christ. They have what is called the Book of Mormon, another gospel of Jesus Christ, right? What does it say in the Book of Galatians, chapter one? If anybody presents to you another gospel if I or an angel from heaven right they have misdirected and they've failed to go to the actual source to even check what that says it's very clear right there what let me read it to you just so you don't think I'm and I probably misquoted it a little bit and I don't want to do that so real quickly Galatians comes after Ephesians right No. okay thank you um, let's see here Um, it would be good if everybody memorized the books of the Bible in order okay I always get the smaller the minor prophets mixed up I just do but um, if you know the books of the Bible it will help you to access things in your mind a lot better but um, from the many comments I got just now I'm glad that quite a few people do have that oh but anyway here we go Um, verse uh, 616 says I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ speaking of grace to a different gospel which is not another gospel but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ and we have them all over the world and they do it daily that people think up new ways to pervert the gospel daily here it is verse 8 as she said but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you let him be accursed let him be anathema okay so that is what he's saying and then he goes down and he repeats it in verse 9 misdirected faith is wasted faith it's a cause of being accursed it's not a cause of pleasing God it doesn't matter how many times you put on your black and white clothes and get on your bicycle and your little helmet and you ride around the neighborhood and tell people about Mormonism it's not going to get you one inch closer to God okay it puts up a wall between you and God and It it takes a lot of very special care to be able to speak to a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon or anybody in any cult. And 99.92367% of the time, you will have no effect at all. I know this personally, okay? But you can pray for them, and one or two in a million will say, you know what? I'm going to check this out. I'm willing to step outside of what I'm in and see if it's true. And most people are not willing to do that they're not willing to say I could be wrong and so uh, it's a sad thing but here we go Um, and the Jewish people he's not um, uh, excusing them okay misdirected faith is waste of faith no matter how sincere it is ignorance is no excuse right when you're driving down the road and you're doing 50 because you didn't see the sign it is not an excuse that you were ignorant that the uh, speed limit is 40 oh I got the heartache of my life two mornings ago was it three? I think it was two mornings ago. I was driving to work as I always do at about, uh, right after the sunrise, it's coming up at 646. So we'll say 710, I'm in the car and I'm going up to the mall to clean it, okay? And I'm the only one on midnight pass road and I'm going north and there's a car coming towards me this way. And I I wasn't looking at my speedometer. I had no idea what I was going. I could have been going 30 or 400. So I'm going down there and just not paying attention. And I realized that it's a police coming towards me. And all of a sudden his lights come on and i thought oh no he must have something that can now tell you you know the, the, the speed between the two vehicles which they don't have as far as i know but maybe now they have something and then I realized it's my friend that I grew up with and he was just saying good morning <laughs> I, I really got a hard time oh no wake what up. yeah wake up Charlie hello pay Go attention to the me. speedometer so oh wow yeah I, I mean I was just embarrassed after that and then I saw him driving here to uh, church today so I waved and uh, I almost yelled at him said Yo anyway um, okay so uh, that was my my morning zap because coffee doesn't do it it takes a while for me to wake up but uh, anyway so um, Uh, it doesn't matter ignorance of law is no excuse if he had a device that could tell how fast I was going and if I was going over the speed limit I deserved that ticket okay Paul uses the exact same thought about himself in 1 Timothy chapter 1 here's what he says 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 13 what's that yes I'm gonna start in verse 12 though I and I think Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful putting me into the ministry Oh, by the way free will Paul it says I was not what to the vision disobedient Disobedient. sounds like he could have turned it down I was not disobedient to the vision okay Um, anyway putting me into the ministry although I was formerly a blasphemer a persecutor and an insolent man but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief and the same thing is true of Jews today They are doing it ignorantly, and they are doing it in unbelief. They persecute Messianic Christians in Israel all the time, right? They're doing it ignorantly, and they're doing it in unbelief, and if they come to Christ, they will be forgiven, just as Paul, okay? God is not going to do a sovereign act of calling people as he did with Paul. That was an exception. It is not a Uh, prescriptive verse in the Bible in Acts chapter 9 it is descriptive as all of the book of Acts says There are very little uh, that is prescriptive in the book of Acts I would say 10 verses at the outside as we went through the entire book it took us three years to get through it and we went through and we talked about which ones may be prescriptive maybe 10 verses the rest of it is simply an account of what happened which you are not to base your theology on because if you do especially using the example of baptism and receiving of the Spirit it becomes very clear Acts chapter 2 Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 10 all teach of the same doctrine but they teach it completely different and so you have no theology if you use one or the other it becomes pick-and-choose theology none of those are prescriptive they are descriptive you have to go to Paul's epistles to understand what we use in those particular uh, circumstances as i said once again acts chapter 2 was speaking to the jews acts chapter 8 was speaking to the samaritans acts chapter 10 was speaking to the gentiles and even acts chapter 10 doesn't form a prescription for our understanding of the receiving of the spirit in this dispensation it was a descriptive account showing what god was doing and why he was doing it Is what we are to learn he was establishing the church early and showing how he was doing it so that this little thing could become a big thing anyway a little bit of a diversion but it all pertains to what we're talking about here Paul did it in ignorance okay he was speaking of a time before God's grace being bestowed upon him the Lord sovereignly came out of the sky shone on him spoke to him and called him and as I said he said I wasn't disobedient to the call or you know uh, the vision and so Free will was even involved there. But imagine, and we talked about this when we were back in Acts, imagine sitting there, waiting. He's blind. He now knows the truth. He's persecuted. Uh, What did Jesus say? How did he structure it when he said, Saul, Saul, why are you? Persecuting me. Me, that's right. He wasn't persecuting the church so much as he was persecuting the Lord personally because the Lord is the head of the church. Okay, why are you persecuting me? Now he's got all that time to sit there blind and wondering, what is God going to do to me? What is my end because of what I've done? And that's what he's referring to in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, and that is what he's speaking about them now. And think of it, every time a Jew comes to Christ, I wish everybody here would subscribe to One for Israel. And every time they have a new Jew give their testimony it, it does anybody here watch those they're they're absolutely marvelous they're very professionally done usually the guy sitting on a couch or the girl is sitting in a kitchen or something but it's very good photography it is very well done and they sit there and they tell how they met their Lord and yeah some of them are are just atheists some of them were you know uh, against the Lord I've only seen one that wasn't a Jew and it was actually a Muslim that was from a, 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 a Muslim from Kuwait and she uh, she gave her testimony in her burqa and at the very end of it she took that thing off and she said you know I can't remember how she put it but it was really marvelous to see but one for Israel watch those uh, those videos and you will be blessed and if you get them and you share them on Facebook you never know if you have a Jew on your your wall that says well I just want to see what they have to say you know I, uh, how, what a Jew thinks about Jesus or whatever and they are in my opinion the best evangelism tool of all for the Jewish people Uh, you know because we're Gentiles and we're trying to evangelize them and there's already a wall between us because they've been persecuted they've gone through the pogroms and they they've gone through the Holocaust and they just think that it's Christians that are doing this to us well it's not right but they they it is a wonderful thing so try to remember that if you forget just send me an email and I'll send you the link to on their YouTube site or? YouTube yeah their YouTube videos and is they're marvelous one or O-N-E? O-N-E, one for Israel okay. so um, uh, anyway so and it's all pertaining to what we're talking about in Romans so I'm not getting into too much of a rabbit trail but um, although his words Paul's seem to indicate that he obtained the mercy because of his ignorance this is not what he's saying let me read it again It says, um, verse 3, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. And then I read you 1 Timothy 13, where he said, But I did it in ignorance. Although his words in Timothy seem to indicate that he obtained the mercy because of his ignorance, that isn't what he's saying. Rather, he received mercy because of his faith, which came after his ignorance. He had continued on in his, or I'm sorry, had he continued on in his unbelief, the mercy would not have come. He could have been disobedient to the vision. He said it with his own mouth, and then mercy would not have come. This is the continued state of those Paul is speaking about. They are in ignorance, and they continue in ignorance. They do not have proper faith. It is misdirected faith, okay? Instead, they were seeking, as he says, to establish their own righteousness the Jews are seeking to establish their own righteousness the righteousness of God for man is found where in the law of Moses No. it's in Christ Jesus this is explicitly stated in Ephesians 3 verse 9 let me read that to you here watch me put down the wrong verse number that would be a. I've done that how many times it's just so embarrassing Um Ephesians 3 verse 9 says um, uh, and I'll start in 8 to me who am less than the least of all the saints this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. Okay, so um, where was I now? 3 9. Ephesians 3 9. And uh, is there anything else I want to read you there? No. Okay, Paul said that he would be found in him not having my own righteousness. This is him back in uh, Romans 10 3. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is found through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. But this isn't where those he is speaking about looked that's not where they looked at all rather than looking at Jesus as the fulfillment of the law they used the law in an attempt to establish righteousness in themselves and this is what the Pharisees did and what all of the people that were set in opposition to God throughout the Old Testament they either completely ignored God or they were completely disobedient to God or they took the law as a means to an end to establish their righteousness when the very law itself showed them that they did not have righteousness The law required sacrifices required daily sacrifices monthly sacrifices annual sacrifices individual sacrifices it went on and on and on it was a very clear key that the law could not make them righteous and if the day of atonement could Then they would have had it one time and they would have been righteous forever and they would not have had to have gone back year after year after year and you could say well they had children and so they needed it for them okay well then send your children to do the day of atonement thing and you guys stay out in the field and work but that's not what they did they were all required every single year to completely stop work to fast to humble themselves to abase themselves whatever That is what they were to do. It shows them that they were unrighteousness. The law could not make them righteous. Yes. I'm just curious what you would say about Christians. All the time. And that's why, you know what, the guy that, takes care of the website for me okay all I can do is give you his first name because he won't tell me who he is he won't tell me where he's he's been taking care of my website now I hate to say my website but one of my websites plus the church website he's been taking care of stuff for me for years and that came he was watching Church on the Beach one time years ago and he says you need that website and I, I was like well, you know I don't know anything about that I got one website and I, nice I hardly nice. know how to use that and so I will I, I, give you a little back bit of background on this guy before I answer what you just said so you understand his thinking he says you need to have a website and he said uh, I said okay well I don't know what to do and he says I'll do it for you and then he went down and he said I need your Facebook password I need your Twitter password I need your uh, email account and its password he went through all of these things and he said I need all this to set it up and I'm like (laughs) I'm not sure about that you know because that's your whole life right there and um, he uh, he said um, now, he said here's some other sites that I take care of him. you can check them out You can email the people whatever and so I looked at him and he great job did all this work And so he uh, he uh, I gave him all that information. He has maintained everything Everything now for years and like I said, I can't even send him a gift I, I want to send him something all I know is he's from New Jersey he's the he's he's such a servant of the lord he does this as his ministry to churches that's you know some people come to church and they give some people are missionaries like this is his ministry and it is outstanding okay he reads every one of my commentaries every single morning and unfortunately he reads them after i posted them and he always finds errors i i say is instead of are and I, you know because i can't catch my own mistakes so he checks those things and i have to go back and i have to correct them okay but he has said and he is right he said a teeny portion of the churches out there preach grace and that's exactly what you're asking is that they preach in some form or another works you need to do this you can't do that and it is always a legalistic attitude of saying it wasn't sufficient what Christ did okay if you're gonna you have to observe a Sabbath day you have to give your tithes you have to uh, Uh, do this you have to do that it is always something in addition to the work of Christ and we cannot have that in proper Christianity that doesn't mean that people aren't saved and I want to make that distinction is it somebody it says if you believe Christ died for your sins was buried and was resurrected you will be saved 1 Corinthians 15 1 through 4 and then Romans 10 9 and 10 that's what brings salvation doctrine is what matters after that doctrine is says I'm going to study this word and I'm going to be obedient to this word mm-hmm. and I, I if I was to believe what he says about churches because he's the guy that researches these things he's the one that handles all of these church websites a very small portion of churches actually do it he has a list of people that he really trusts on the doctrine of grace and it's very small and this is a guy that is all over the place I mean he spends his life pursuing ministries and you know offering his help to him and uh, so Mike if you're watching thank you very much for all you do because that's all I I, all I got is Mike okay the last name he uses is not a real name he does that he has it's a what do you call it a pen name okay cuz he doesn't want me to know it because he believes that his ministry is set apart and that's fine I, I very much appreciate him but I, I, it Does that answer your question? As far as what you were looking at is that the the churches are preaching some type of works in their theology, right? Yeah, I'm just curious. Like, how do you how do, what's your perspective on how people separate? one of the things that Paul says that can be taken literally by Well, I would say that of, you know, Paul, from from Romans until Philemon, is our that's what we use for church age he is the apostle to the Gentiles okay he said that specifically James when he writes his epistle which is what the Catholics especially but many other denominations use James chapter 2 which we can go to if you want but uh, they use that um, uh, I'll go there it's James two twenty four in particular but Remember who James is writing to? He's writing to the 12 tribes. That's right. Same with Peter. They're writing to the 12 tribes. And actually, we've done this before, and we'll do it again hopefully before we get done. Maybe during chapter 11, uh, the structure of the Bible shows us the, the dispensations of time. God's plan of redemption, the way it's laid out, the epistles, starting with Hebrews and then James and then Peter are all end times epistles. They're actually geared towards the Jews of the end time. But you'd have to see it laid out to understand it. But it's based on a prophecy that uh, Noah made over his sons in Genesis chapter 9. He says that um, uh, Japheth will dwell in the tents of Shem. Well, what does that mean? I'll tell you what it means when we do it on the board again. It is really an interesting study. But have a wonderful evening. You bet. Um, so um, here's what it says in James 2 24 and uh, we'll go to that really quickly so you understand because this is what especially Catholics use this for their doctrine of saying you need to do these works okay faith works is dead. yeah that's right here's what it says it says James 2:24. the whole all of James 2 but especially I'll start in verse 20 and we'll go down to the end it says but do you want to know a foolish man that faith without works is dead that's verse 20 was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar so it sounds like he's saved by works okay and then it says um, uh, do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect verse 23 and the scripture was uh, fulfilled which said Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness now that goes back to Genesis 15 whereas Isaac was put on the altar in Genesis 22 okay so he was already saved in Genesis 15 that's Paul's text verse for salvation faith is what makes a person righteous in the eyes of God so he's talking about two separate issues many many years apart and a lot of chapters apart then he goes on and he said um, let me continue with that one um, made perfect and verse 23 in the, oh uh, yes and he was called the friend of God verse 24 you see then that a man this is the one that they use a man verse 24 is justified by works and not by faith only so it sounds like we have to do works in order to be justified before God which is exactly the opposite of what Paul says a man is justified by faith apart from works so then he goes down and he makes another example verse 25 likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way So he's saying that their works are what justify them everybody got that he cites two examples Abraham and he cites Rahab the harlot and they're both justified by works go ahead what's your question before I go on I always interpreted this when I read it that the proof of the change in your life is the change it produces in how you live okay I will give you that in a second I'll answer that but let me get this out of my head first I, I, I know where you're going with that yeah. but I want to take you where is the book of Hebrews in the Bible is it before or after James or Oh, it's before okay so we're gonna to go to Hebrews what is Hebrews the chapter called the Hall of Fame of faith Seven. 11 so we're gonna to go to Hebrews 11 and we are now going to look at Hebrews 11 and we're gonna look at <laughs> Abraham it says in um, Hebrews chapter 11 it says that verse 17 here's what it says by <coughs> By faith Abraham when he was tested offered up Isaac and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son so the very verse that James cites is a verse of faith it wasn't a work it was faith in other words the work is faith that is what he's saying and then he goes down and guess what he cites another person in the book of uh, Hebrews chapter 11 in the 31st verse it says by faith the harlot rahab who we also cited the two examples he uses are both by faith the harlot rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she received the spies with peace the exact example that James says is a work is called faith in the book of hebrews and so what James is saying is that their work is a work of faith in other words anything that you do for god After being saved because Abraham was clearly saved uh, the Lord credited to him for righteousness Genesis 15 verse 6 anything after that time that Abraham did not exercise faith in was not a work of righteousness it was not something that was counted towards his righteousness and that falls under the category in the New Testament of after you die you go and get rewards and losses okay the work has to be a work of faith I can go to work every single day and not get any. I'm working, but am I exercising faith in God? I'm turning a, a valve on a pump, right? Oh, I'm going back to the wastewater plant right now. I turn a valve on a pump. Is that a work of faith? No, it's just doing my job. I'm not thinking about God. I'm thinking about getting the sludge from here to here, right? So that's a work. It's something that I'm actively doing, but it has nothing to do with my relationship with God. Hebrews tells us that any work that is considered a work for justification is a work of faith in other words faith from beginning to end all the way from the beginning of the Bible to the end and squaring on Jesus Christ has to be of faith so what you're saying here Hang on, I gotta answer her question mm-hmm. what she is saying here is that faith is, I'm sorry works are a result of faith and so those are good works but as I've asked many times what works because that's what people say. You have to have proof of your salvation through works. You see that's what reformed theology says in this table talk. They say it four thousand six hundred and twenty-two times a month. Okay? But they never say what works. But I think it's a spiritual thing that you feel that you know. No, it doesn't matter that God has called you to I understand that, but what I'm saying is that mm-hmm. any work that you do that is not a work of faith isn't something that is counted for your righteousness at all. Okay. It, that, that's what I'm saying. And so A person who is saved by Jesus Christ and has zero works is just as saved as a person that has a lifetime of works the salvation does not change what changes is the works being applied to that salvation for rewards and losses a person is saved solely on believing in Jesus Christ that is the doctrine of grace that is where you say there's nothing I can do to add to my salvation he did the work that is what counts for salvation is what christ did anything after that then falls under the category of rewards and losses if you don't have any works that does not deny what they say it does they say well you have to have works in order to prove your salvation well what about the guy that's lying on the hospital bed that you go and you tell him about jesus and he says i needed to hear this and then he dies 30 seconds later zero works he didn't prove that he was saved doesn't work that way your deathbed conversion is the same as your two-year old conversion where you say yes dad I lied and I want Jesus to forgive me it doesn't matter from that point on everything that you do must be geared towards Christ so when you're out there doing stuff if you're out there and you say well I've got all this money and I want the church to like me so I'm gonna give them a big donation right was that a faith Or was it because you wanted something okay your faith has to say I'm doing this because I want to glorify God I want to exercise my faith in what I'm doing to help out the church to bring the gospel to people over in Zimbabwe or something whatever okay the the works that James describes are already in the book of Hebrews prior to James described as by faith and so that is the answer that we need to remember is we cannot add to our salvation the salvation is a gift it is of God it is by grace through faith and that is it if you never do anything after that moment it doesn't change your salvation okay it does not because it says in Ephesians 1 13 and 14 the moment that you believe you were sealed with the Holy Spirit which is a deposit an aravon, a guarantee it is an assurance if that was the case that you can lose that then that means that one he made a mistake and two that he is changing God doesn't change God doesn't make mistakes and so your salvation is different than the conduct of your works so um, from there uh, let's see here Christ is the um, righteousness which is from of God by faith but this isn't where those he is speaking about looked rather than looking at Jesus I said this already the fulfillment of the law they use the law or churches do this in an attempt to establish righteousness in and of themselves but that's where the righteousness must come from that's where it has to come from and then from there we can build on that with our good works or not build on it it's up to us because everything falls then under uh, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians the beam of seed of Christ wood hay and stubble the wood and hay are things that'll burn up and the, uh, the precious gems and uh, uh, precious metals those are things that will be purified in the fire and so uh, the Lord is making a distinction between the works or the lack of works that we have in our life so um, Uh, but Christ is the end of the law this is going back to the Jews here they're trying to establish their own righteousness in themselves but Christ is the end of the law and they have not as he says submitted to the righteousness of God if that is the righteousness of God because he is the end of the law and that's where the righteousness comes from then they haven't submitted to that okay to understand this let's look at righteousness as a destination okay in different ways of attempting to get there this is just me it may not be in a perfect example but it's to help you understand what's going on here we have the island of righteousness it's over there actually we're going to put it over there because that's where cst key is okay the island of righteousness is in the middle of the ocean some may choose an airplane representing being a philanthropist okay that's i'm a philanthropist i'm going to use the airplane to get to the island of righteousness but the destination has no airport and so airplanes crash in the ocean okay you've got the island you've got a plane I'm gonna to go to the island of righteousness but you can't land so you have to crash in the ocean okay all dead donators drowned some may choose a car representing asceticism okay I'm going to deny myself these good things and God's gonna be happy with me this is what monks do they go into a a monkery or (laughs) abbey or whatever they call it and monastery thank you and they deny themselves and they live lives of asceticism they cut themselves off from the world which is actually the opposite of what the Bible tells us to do anyway but there's no road and they drive off the beach into the water and they perish self-denial does stink doesn't it okay some get into a hot air balloon representing the engagement in lofty thinking we have this in professors all over the world don't we they are in seminaries they know theology better than you and I will ever know theology and yet they do not know the Lord Jesus they know the Bible they know what it says but they have no relationship with Him. this is lofty thinking however the winds around the island never allow for a landing all balloon attempts end in a bad way philosophy these are all incorrect methods of reaching the island of righteousness however there is another way some understand that one can get across the ocean by boat and so they get onto the SS law does that sound right like the right boat to get onto? okay they're on the SS law but God built the law and so it is certainly uh, God built the law and so it is certainly fit for their journey to righteousness as they travel on the law some enjoy the mode of traveling and they start to help with the maintenance of the ship you see where this is going they're on the ship they're on the law the SS law and they're going to the island but now they like being in the law so much that they say, I'm gonna help out on the ship the law has become their obsession all they want to do is see the ship working in the right order when righteousness is in sight they don't realize it because they are so busy working on the law they're greasing the Pistons and they're they're you know oiling the Oilers and they're swabbing the decks and whatever it is they want to do they have missed the intent of being on the SS law is to get us to the island of righteousness okay the ship pulls up to righteousness and those who understand that this is the final destination get off putting their faith in the fact that they will be safe even. Apart from the law when it departs which is exactly what the Bible says happened with Jesus the law is a way of getting to the island of righteousness it is to lead us as Paul says to Christ and so they come to Christ and they say I have faith that I don't need the law anymore there is sufficiency in this island of righteousness for me to exist and not only to exist but to thrive and to do it forever everybody got that And what does it say in the book of Hebrews chapter 7 the law is obsolete in chapter 8 the law is annulled in chapter 9 the law is set aside okay Paul says and I may have those three chapters mixed up a little bit but that's what it says those three times and then in um, uh, Hebrews it also says that there's a change in the priesthood meaning by necessity a change of the law you're now in the law of righteousness you're no longer on the SS law okay and then Paul says that the law is nailed to the cross it died guess what happened to the law of the SS law okay here we go so it says um, uh, the island of righteousness is their only hope support and source of life from that point on but there are those who never get off they're on the SS law they're so blinded by their obsession with the SS law that they never see what it was pointing to all along righteousness without leaving the ship the law goes back to the sea and guess what happens Anybody want to guess what happens? That's right, it stinks. Okay? And it stinks. Anyway, it was des- designed for one purpose and one only. It was designed to reach righteousness, which is apart from the law. None of the other means of travel could ever safely get you to righteousness, and the SS law had the purpose of getting there and then ending. It was designed for self destruction. God designed it purposely to end. The last example is that which led to the state of the Jews who rejected Jesus Christ they are still in the law they're still mechanically working out what the law was intended to point to Jesus they missed it and they're still on the law they're still trying to work it out and when they die they are that ship which sinks they go to the bottom of the ocean because there's nothing safe for them to stand on there's no righteousness in them because they don't have the righteousness of Christ okay they attempted to establish their own righteousness and failed to submit to the righteousness of god they saw the law as a means to an end never understanding that its intent and purpose which is even described in the law itself we go through them week after week uh, leviticus 18 verse 5 for example was to point to something greater it was to point to jesus every single week we see this in leviticus the law every single week has pointed us to Jesus Christ guess what I bet you I bet you $50 anybody I'm not a big betting guy but I'll bet you $50 that this week's sermon part three of the year of Jubilee will also point us to Christ anybody want to bet that you'd be pretty dumb if you did okay I guarantee you it does everything in the the Bible points to Christ in one way or another so um, life application the Bible tells us how to reach righteousness when we follow the proper path and receive christ jesus we are granted his righteousness that takes care of all of the works that takes care of all of the works that we ever will need in order to be saved every single one of them our works are done for attaining righteousness after that by faith abraham offered up his son isaac by faith rahab the harlot uh secreted away the spies i misquoted that but you see every single time that you go in the bible and somebody (laughs) has done something of a work which pleases god guess what preceded it faith every single time read the bible when you're reading it think is this an act of faith oh let's go to one right now i'm not going to be able to find it it's in the uh, book of kings it's when a guy named naaman the syrian anybody know what story i'm talking about Mm -hmm. he he needs to be what he needs to be cleansed of his um leprosy. Uh, leprosy okay and leprosy in the old testament uh, can be many diseases it may not have specifically been the disease that we think of as leprosy they were all kind of lumped into a, a couple general words but we'll assume that his fingers are starting to rot off and he really needs us and so what does he do there's a girl well it's one of my favorite things in the bible is this girl second kings five second kings five let me read it to you really quickly so we can see the island of righteousness even back in the old testament um there's a little girl in here who is a real hero of the Bible. And guess what? She's not even named. But the Lord knows her name, doesn't doesn't he, Burke? Yes. Second Kings chapter five. Okay, now, now I'm gonna read this whole thing because we have time and it's a great story. Now Naaman, the command commander of the army of the king of Syria, with was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master, because by him the Lord had gained victory to Syria he was also a mighty man of valor but a leper and the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel here's a real heroine in the Bible she waited on the Ammon's wife then she said to her mistress if only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria for he would heal him of his leprosy and the Ammon went in and told his master saying thus and thus said the girl who is from the land of Israel then the king of Syria said go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel so he departed and took with him ten talents of silver that's a lot of silver okay six thousand shekels of gold still a ton of gold and ten changes of clothing then he brought the letter to the king of Israel which said now be advised this is the king of Syria now be advised with this letter when this letter comes to you I that I have sent Naaman my servant to you that he may that you may heal him of his leprosy this almost sounds like a challenge and the king of uh, uh, Samaria of Israel takes it as one he, he's misunderstanding what's going on here he doesn't know about the little girl that gave the advice verse 7 and it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes which is a sign of distress and said am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends to me me a man to me to heal him of his leprosy therefore please consider and see how he seeks a quarrel with me he's thinking that he's just sending him there to start a war okay so it was when Elisha the man of God heard that the king of Israel torn his clothes that he sent to the king saying why have you torn your clothes please let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel then the Ammon went with his horses and chariot and he stood at the door of Elisha's house and Elisha sent a messenger to him saying go and wash you in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean but Naaman became furious and went away and said indeed I said to myself he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy he's thinking of works he's thinking of works based salvation here okay how do we know this where is this cited somebody speaks about this exact instance in the New Testament Jesus Jesus refers to it are not the Abana and the far the far part the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel could I not wash in them and be clean so he turned and went away in a rage then his servants came near and spoke to him and said my father if the prophet had told you to do something great would you not have done it right how much more then when he says to you wash and be clean so he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan according to the saying of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean he simply took him at his word and he said okay I'm gonna buy faith try this thing out It makes no sense at all but I'm gonna try it out anyway and he did and he was clean I'm not gonna read the rest of it because it gets into sad story of Gehazi but um, anyway uh, uh, it, it comes back always to faith no works for salvation, no works for pleasing the Lord in a capacity where now you owe me. All of the works come after salvation where it's now we owe you. I'm going to do this because I love what you have done for me. I'm going to do this because I love you for who you are, for your being, for the fact that I exist when I didn't have to exist. And you created me unique in all of the world and in all of the ages to have a relationship with you. And how do I know that? Because he sent Jesus. It all comes back to faith. Okay? Our works cannot save us, but our works can be pleasing to God because we are showing faith in what he has done. Yes. Um the part I was questioning about really was more the part of faith. Right. right. Things, go. things in the Bible is- Oh, absolutely! How much is that, that? How do we know what to take literally? What what so, I, I would know, always do. About, yeah, yeah I, I understand completely. What I would always do. And then also, Acts chapter. 15. Yeah. The Council of Jerusalem. Yeah. I mean, pre- it is. It's very important, and it is prescriptive. They're they're making a prescription. He's just so they probably can't hear you unless you talk louder. But in Acts chapter fifteen. Um, Uh, that is dealing with the original the early church and notice there there are a couple prescriptions in Acts chapter 15 that do not apply in the church age itself they were Uh, as a matter of fact they don't even say that we command you they say that if you do these things it will go well with you or something the the terminology but I wish we had acts recorded because it would clear a lot of this up but Acts chapter 15 is prescribing to these people what they should do and the reason why is because there was a problem between the Jews and the Gentiles that was the entire purpose of calling this meeting was the the conflict between the Jews who are saying we have to hold to the law of Moses Peter came up and he said that's a yoke that can't be burdened but in order to say to the Jewish people we are um, uh, not going to offend you during this transition into the church we don't want you to eat blood we don't want you to do this and we don't want you to do that don't eat meat uh, which is um, uh, for for strangling what's that sec Sac- yeah it, uh, no, no that's not one of them oh yeah maybe it is anyway he, he gave a couple of things and then Paul goes through and he explains. yes he goes through and he explains in 1 Corinthians exactly what he means by eating meat sacrificed to idols he says that we can do it in fact we can do it but he brings it back to conscience he says let me take you there well I'm not going to because we'll be here all night if we've only got 25 minutes your, what's that if it offends, if it offends brother, your brother you're... that's right it comes but offense has to be taken in a biblical context as well and we talked about that when we were in there it's not something that we can just say oh well I offend somebody I'll give you an example of this there was a guy I think I brought it up in this class I may not have but there was a guy um, professor up at college um, uh, had a friend that came to Christ but before he did all he thought about was baseball that's all he thought about was baseball okay he, he was baseball he knew every stat he knew every figure and everything and when he came to Christ he could no longer handle baseball it, he it was like an addiction to him and he says I got to separate myself from that completely but he was uh, my professor and one of his friends were with him and they said we're going to the baseball game tonight you want to come along And he was floored he was actually what are you doing how can you do that Well, there's nothing wrong with going to a baseball game that's not a work it's not anything the Bible speaks about it doesn't matter it's just something that we do as humans okay he could not separate his previous addiction from their freedom in Christ okay and that's what Paul uses that exact same terminology they are under no obligation to not go to a baseball game because of him that is completely separate it is unbiblical Paul talks about the the uh, sacrificing of meat to idols and he says that an idol is nothing in all the world go to an idol you could go up to the Thai temple in Tampa which has really good food by the way and you can buy anything without questioning it. but if you ask that person was this sacrifice to an idol and he says yes then he says don't buy it why not for your sake because an idol is nothing in all the world but for the sake of his conscience in case he knows that you're a Christian he's going to say now it's okay for me to eat something sacrificed to an idol which implies that my idol has power and so it's not for your conscience but for his conscience because if he knows you're a Christian and you're condoning his idol you are now saying that his idol is on the same level as your God and so he says for conscience sake don't do this and he uses the same example as going to somebody's dinner table and he says if you go there anybody offers you something on the table eat anything without questioning it but if they say this was offered to an idol he says you don't eat it why for your conscience no for their conscience because now you have once again raised their idol up to the level of your faith and we can't do that and so that anytime time in the New Testament so even Acts 15 as I said though it's prescriptive for the church at that time it doesn't follow as prescriptive completely anymore because Paul defines it later in 1 and 2 Corinthians speaking about these these doctrines of uh, offending people and but when it comes to offense it has to be a biblical offense just because somebody is offended that i stand on a street corner and i preach about jesus doesn't make any difference in the world their offense is their problem i am doing what is right in god's sight i'm not doing anything which could harm their faith because they don't have any faith so i'm not doing anything wrong as a matter of fact I am under obligation to preach the gospel that's what we're supposed to do so if that's the way I'm doing it and I suddenly say oh I'm fending this person I'm not gonna do it anymore guess who is in the wrong not them you are because you have now diminished your testimony in front of this person for their sake when you're doing something that is wholly acceptable in God's eyes we are to please God rather than men anyway so the the faith after salvation Is only or I'm sorry works after salvation are only works that the Bible prescribes or says that we should be doing these things and there aren't many of them actually if you go through the epistles Paul's epistles which tell you of church age doctrine the things that we should and should not be doing are very clear and they're very simple Um, you know I could bring up uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 11 and 12 but I won't because it'll offend somebody anyway 1 Timothy 2 11 and 12 says I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man okay now here's my question to you if you are a preacher or a teacher of the Bible as a woman and you have men in your church are you obedient to the Word of God no so she's actually violating the Word of God in order to tell people about the Word of God okay there can be no rewards for that so you see everything has to come back to faith and faith always finds its source here, because this is what tells us of Jesus and it tells us what of our doctrine. So, if it's not found in here, it's neither good nor bad. It's just technology, right? I've got an iPad here. It can be used for good things or it can be used for bad things. Facebook is a part of technology. It can be used for good things or it can be used for bad things. Everything that isn't in this book is something that is neutral, okay? Getting in a car is something neutral, okay? I take it out of neutral and I run over somebody, then it is not a good thing. I have violated a precept of owning a car, okay, and the law itself. And I've also violated God's law. So everything that is not of the Bible is something that is neutral. And our works are based on, that are acceptable to God, are based on the faith that we exercise in what God has said in His Word. So I don't, does that. Well, the, like the part about women. Uh, right. What about it? doesn't allow women to speak in well that's right it says that if she has a question then she should uh, ask her husband at home now we've got women here that are unmarried and so I have no problem with them asking a question because this is where they are and they don't have a husband to ask at home so this is the format where they would come to me and do that okay so you think you, like you, th- you think that. Um that we should take all of these things literally. Oh, absolutely. Not necessarily looking at the culture, right? And no, that, that, is, that is abused to the highest extent. What Paul writes is prescriptive for the entire church age. He is the apostle to the Gentiles, and the Gentile letters are prescriptive. Long hair on a man. Now that has to be defined, and I've got that entirely typed out. What does that mean? And what is long? Because John the Baptist was a Nazarite, right? He never cut his hair in his life. Samuel was a so what is he speaking about I've got all that laid out it's a very long study if you want to read it go read it I've got it online verse by verse explaining it tongues everything Paul's letters are 100% prescriptive 100% okay now I'm not saying that everything he says is you know I was shipwrecked five times that's not a prescriptive verse it's a descriptive verse what I'm talking about is the things that he sets as doctrine it wasn't cultural it wasn't this is to the Corinthians and it only applies to them Okay, once we go down that avenue, we can pick and choose anything we want out of Paul's letters and say, well, that only applies to the Corinthians or that only applies at Ephesus, because I heard somebody actually say that about 1 Timothy 2 11 and 12. Well, they were having problems at Ephesus, and so he gave directions for that church. Well, one, that's not true. And two, now you've pulled something out of the context and you are saying that you are the arbiter of what God has written to us. God is the ultimate author of scripture he used holy men of God in order to give us these things so we have to keep everything in context and I do not believe I will never never teach that it is a cultural thing that they say about long hair on men or about women not teaching and having authority over men or any of those things now I will say this one time I had a lady come in during the prophecy update and she gave her testimony during the morality section a lot of people got mad about that they said well you shouldn't have a woman teaching or having authority over a man she wasn't she was giving her testimony she gave nothing prescriptive she didn't say I'm teaching you anything she was simply giving her background life as a moral issue which is what the prophecy update is it's how do we get out of the things we're in what is the state of the world we're in but I would never have her come up and give the opening comments like Jim or Bob does because it's not allowed in scripture they are giving doctrine to people and they're teaching them something we have to stick by Paul's letters because if we don't everything becomes pick and choose everything becomes pick and choose and we went through that next it took us 3 years to go through but it's it was a good study and I wish that it was recorded and maybe we'll go through Acts again to redefine that so Charlie so what does it mean that women are to cover heads covered uh you go and read that commentary it's on that page go read 1 Corinthians 14 I have it completely in there but I will tell you this the word head I don't want to get too far off on this okay Go read the commentary it's very long the word head in the Bible has two connotations it's exactly the same as uh, the word head in English Jesus is my head does that mean this no he's my authority okay this is my head it's the same word in Greek for head and for authority same as it is in English okay then the covering of a woman it is very clear when you read it in context so go read the commentary online that that covering of a woman is her hair thank you it is speaking of her hair she is to have long hair but because the man is the authority over the woman if she wants to cut her hair short he's the head and so you have to understand the use of Paul's terminology with the word head it means nothing to do with what the uh, the uh, Amish and the uh, Mennonites do with the bonnet on her head that has nothing to do with that passage at all okay so Um, but I don't want to get any further in that because it's a very long and detailed study but I have got it every single precept and uh, I actually have my uh, I will tell you this and then we'll go on because we've got to finish this verse Um, my college professor asked us to do what's called a synthesis study it's a very good way of finding out information from the Bible you ask it questions and you do certain things and he said I want everybody to pick an area of the Bible and I want you to uh, um, do a synthesis study but I want to prove it first Okay? And so everybody picked their uh, synthesis study, and instead of doing that, I thought, I'm going to learn something. I'm not going to pick something that I already understand. I'm going to learn something. How am I going to do that? I said to him, Professor Beaumont, I want you to pick my synthesis study. And that's what he picked was the covering of a woman's head and so I've got diagrams in my college study I've got all of that in the one online it's just all words explaining that but the diagrams I've got pictures of girls with long hair and bonnets and all anyway so it was a great study and uh, it, it, it is a very clear issue it is extremely clear what Paul is speaking about and it is something that pertains to all people at all times in this dispensation the dispensation of grace so we've got to go on sure. um yes you said this man's name n-a-a-m-a-n N-A-M-A-N. I didn't know who you were talking about. Oh, Naaman, right. I know everybody says, (laughs) they they don't have the A in Hebrew. Then Elisha, you called him. Elisha. Elisha. Yeah, L is God, the I is possessive. Yeah. That's because you don't attend church here. Shame on you, or you'd hear this. Yeah, yeah, anyway. There's people out there that, you know, they're That's okay. I was reading. They were reading along, and they'll learn the proper ways of speaking it. But anyway, yeah. El is God, I is possessive, so Eli, 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 that's what Jesus said on the cross, right? My God, my God, so, uh, and then Sha, whatever. Okay, so um, let's go on. Um, life application, I read that. Oh, well, we've got verse 10, 4 and we're gonna get it done we're gonna rush through it we've only got ten minutes and we so you guys keep asking questions we don't get anything done here we've got to get I know it is it's wonderful I'm I'm saying that yeah anyway ten four for the third time in only four verses Paul begins with four remember circle the prepositions third time in four verses he says four. this time it leads back to the thought that Israel being ignorant of God's righteousness sought instead to establish their own righteousness by doing so they have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Let me read it. I didn't read the verse before I started, and I want to read you the verse. So Romans uh, 10, verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Remember the island. They're all trying to get to the island, but Christ is the end of the law, okay? So they have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Based on this, Paul explains, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. The law was put in place to show us Our desperately sinful state go back to Romans 7 and read that and you'll see it and to lead us to our need for Christ that's Galatians 3 21 through 25 I'll take you there very quickly Galatians 3 21 through 25 says is the law then against the promises of God certainly not for if there had been a law given which could have given life truly righteousness would have been by the law But scripture is confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe okay but before faith came we were kept under guard by the law kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed so it was to lead us to the faith that would be revealed this is why if you follow a good Bible translation the Old Testament will call the people of Israel the begins with C-H and ends with ildrin children of Israel, because they are under the law. But in the New Testament, we're called sons of God through adoption and through inheritance. They are children. We are now sons of God. Okay. So that's why a good translation instead, because the word is bene uh, Israel, the sons of Israel, but it also means children. It can be translated either way. But somebody that understands the theology that I just read from Galatians 3 will translate it, children in the Old Testament. And sons in the new okay we'll go on um, it was to uh, show us our utterly sinful nature it was to show us our need for Christ Jesus being born without sin was qualified to replace Adam and live perfectly under the law without sinning okay he fulfilled the law on our behalf now God offers us a trade substitution which Mabel asked about before we started today if we accept what Jesus did believing that it was all-sufficient no works involved he grants us Jesus' perfect righteousness and places our sins under his shed blood. Okay? When he looks at us, he does not see us because we are still sinful people. Anybody here that says they're not, please, the door is over there. We all sin. Okay? We are covered by Christ's righteousness and he sees the perfection of Christ in us. Okay? So, um, uh, all sufficient for us, we're granted his righteousness, his shed blood. In him, we have peace with God. This is offered to, as Paul says, everyone who believes we got four more minutes we're going to make it nothing is said here or at any other place in all of scripture what calvinists teach that god first regenerates us in order to believe which is what i read you here about 10 times and then we exercise our faith belief is an act of the volitional will we hear the message we accept the premise we believe that it is true naaman the syrian he heard the message he accepted the premise And he believed that it was true and he followed through with it okay and God grants us Christ's righteousness or in the picture of the Old Testament He grants them cleansing healing from their their physical affliction which pictures Christ's cleansing of of our spiritual affliction this is how it works and this is how the Bible describes the process time and time and time again I mean in the book of Leviticus alone we've seen 20 of these probably 20 examples where exactly this pattern is followed and maybe even more okay so a question remains for consideration what happens to the law if christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes then what does that mean about the law itself the answer is twofold first the law remains in full force and effect for those who fail to believe in what christ has done full force and effect those jews that are trying to work their way to heaven the law is in full effect on them They must fulfill the law perfectly in order to stand justified before God. But Paul explains in Galatians 3, 10 through 12, and elsewhere, that no one is justified before the law. Because of this, those who fail to accept Christ stand condemned. John 3, 18, he who does not believe in the Son is condemned already, okay? Because of this, those who fail to accept Christ stand condemned. Secondly, however, the law is over. For those who have accepted Christ so you're either under the law and bound to the law and you must observe it perfectly or you are in Christ okay because it says in Hebrews and I said this earlier now I'm gonna read you from it the law is one annulled, Hebrews 718 obsolete Hebrews 813 taken away Hebrews 10 9 I think that's what I said I think I got it right it is wiped out taken out of the way and nailed to the cross Colossians 2 14 etc elsewhere in multiple statements explicitly and implicitly all through the New Testament it is said and it's pictured in the old again and again and again the law cannot save anyone in other words we are free from the constraints of the law completely and entirely I'm gonna read you a verse before we finish but I got to get this done they are not binding on us no precept of the law is binding on us our righteousness is an imputed righteousness based on the work of Jesus Christ I thought somebody called me therefore to reintroduce the law in any precept this is what Paul speaks about in the book of Galatians in particular mandatory Sabbath day observance circumcision dietary restrictions such as no pork chops what are we having for dinner tonight ediko pork chops no oh dang it is to say to God I believe that what Christ did was insufficient to save me if you say, I must do this thing in order to obtain God's righteousness, you're saying that that was not sufficient. That is what you're saying. And that is a slap in the face of God. I got two more minutes. The doctrine for our lives and conduct comes not from the law then, but from the New Testament epistles, particularly the writings of Paul, who was selected to guide us during the church age. If you want to know the greatest Bible preacher that I, or teacher that I know of, okay and he will tell you exactly what i'm saying now with a couple differences because you know he and i don't agree on everything just like no two people do watch les feldick through the bible with les feldick he has the theology of the greatest theologians of all time les feldick he's on tv all the time you can go to his website and you can watch any Verse in the Bible, and watch him. He's a farmer. He wears short sleeve shirts, and he stands there, and you think he's the most boring guy on the face of the planet. Unless you want to know proper doctrine, then go and w- Mabel and uh, uh, the doctor here watch him three times a day. Six thirty. Six. There you go. And, and then and comes out seven and then he comes out at 1230 one second I'll answer your question I got to finish this and we got one more minute Um, the doctrine for our lives and conduct comes not from the law then but from the New Testament epistles life application have faith in what Christ did believe that what he did is all-sufficient and be free from the requirements of the law which could never make you righteous in and of yourselves it is impossible only Christ can do that and then do your works for God and do them in faith for God and you will receive reward. Okay, ten second question, and then we've got to finish. I was just wondering oh. to know how to spell Feldick. Oh, F-E-L-D-I-C-K. Les L E S or just go through the Bible with Les Feldick on. You can watch any verse. If this guy is outstanding. He really is. It it, it takes a real it, it takes a real person that has read the word many, many, many times to be able to teach what he does. And as I said, I don't agree with him on everything, but 99% of what he does. One of the things that he has wrong is that he says that John is not for the church age. That's one of the few things I disagree with him. The three synoptic gospels are not, John is. I can show you that from Noah's um, uh, prophecy over his sons. But other than that, and a couple other small things, we are lockstep. He is a very, very good theologian. Anyway, we got to say a prayer and we got about 20 seconds. So, Heavenly Father, thank you for this class. Thank you for the wonderful questions tonight. And uh, it's uh, wonderful to be able to share in your word with people and to search it out. I pray, I pray that my answers were proper today and that you're pleased with them. But I also pray that each person here would be willing to check these things on their own and that they would search them out and that they would research them thoroughly so that they are standing approved in your presence apart from anything I may have taught them incorrectly. Lord, thank you for this wonderful, wonderful weather we're having. We pray for a little more rain this weekend, which seems to be coming. And when it comes, we'll thank you, washing away the pollen and the sneezes. And Lord, we love you. We praise you. We honor you. And we give you great glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let me turn this off. If it goes over the one and a half hours, then it causes somebody else a lot of work, and I don't want to do that, so let me back that up and uh, break, and then we'll say goodbye to everybody. I hope I didn't go over it, but anyway. All right, we love you guys. Have a wonderful week, and we hope to see you here on Sunday. Don't forget to set your clocks uh, forward. Bye-bye. We're getting to 7 o'clock. Now.